Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and Squarespace dot com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to Squarespace dot com forward slash TWIP. Panasonic goes 3D, Sony innovates again, and the feds lighten up on photographers. It's Saturday, October 23rd, 2010, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to another episode of TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show are Mr. Tristan Hall out of South Africa, Derek Story out of Northern California, and Aaron Mailer Skyping in from Virginia over on the East Coast. Hey, guys. Hello. Okay. Hello. This is truly using the medium till its fullest. I mean, we've got, this is a global podcast, everything coming together. I'm in San Jose recording us on Skype, and you guys are scattered all over the globe. This is awesome. I love this. So we get to get perspectives from all you guys on a bunch of cool stories. So, so Tristan, you haven't been on the show in a while. Um, you want to give us a quick heads up on what you've been up to? Um, well, I've been basically running one or two or doing a couple of things in, with Sony recently. Uh, about two weeks ago, they was uh, South Africa's probably the only uh, real photographic uh, expo or show that we had, our closest comparison to, to Photokina, if you want to call it that. Um, and I uh, did a couple of workshops in that day talking about the new technology and trying to explain the differences between what's happening in camera design and their translucent mirror, etc. And um, I just got back on Friday from uh, the launch of the Alpha 33 and 55 uh, in South Africa, which they actually had in Zimbabwe at Victoria Falls, which was incredibly awesome to be at. Very cool. All right. And Mr. Derek Story, you uh, you haven't been on in a while either. Actually, a couple of weeks ago. But what are, what are you up to? Uh, yeah, I missed last week. I, I was actually doing a, a photo workshop. I do photo workshops now up here in Northern California, which are just like tons of fun. I didn't know about those. How come I'm not invited to those? Come on. It's well, nice. because because people have to pay to come, Fred. Oh, okay. So it's an exclusive club. Then. It's an exclusive club. You have to like sign up and pay money and everything. Come on, man. Jeez, get with it. This is the free economy here. There's I know. No I know. I, go, I got eight seats. I got eight seats. Oh, very uh, good. No, but they're a hoot. I really have a good time. And then I'm getting ready to head out to New York for Photo Plus. We're going to oh. head out uh, midway, uh, midweek uh, with uh, Low Pro Crew. Awesome. So. You know what? I'm I'm not going to be able to make it out there, but I'm looking forward to getting the download from you, especially the perspective on Photokina versus Photo Plus, and kind of the diff- I know one is one could fit inside the other one, but just in terms of the overall flavor of the shows, I would love to hear that when you get back. Well, they're actually my two favorite shows, so uh, I, I love them both. So it's going to be fun fun to talk about it and. I'm uh, testing new gear, and oh, I hope the MacBook Air gets here in time for me to take that on the trip. Did you too. order it? You ordered it already, didn't you? Oh, God, I ordered it within like, you know, three minutes after the store reopened. <laughs> you know, I want to talk about that. Uh, hopefully, that's your pick or something, because I, I definitely want to talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. All right. And then also on the show is Mr. Aaron Mailer. Aaron, uh, what, what have you been up to? You haven't been on in forever. You've been avoiding us, and no, we finally no. caught up with you. Come on. I, I have to say, my. my my report for my time gone is not terribly exciting by comparison. It's mostly been my non-photo aspect of my career, keeping me quite busy. So uh, uh, most of my photography the last couple months has been personal photography, which is honestly pretty nice. That's awesome. That and, and, and by the time this show hits, I will actually be out there hanging with you. We'll meet yep. for the first time in person, right? We've, we've been doing shows together for, what, over a year now? Yeah. Off and on, and, and uh, we haven't met in person. Um, have I've you- met Alex in person. I've met Steve in person. And oddly enough, the time I met Steve was in Washington, D.C. as well. We were Look both at, at Obama's inauguration. Yeah. I have yet to shake your hand, so I'll get to do that, and we'll actually go out and do some HDR photography around Washington together. So. Yeah, we're gonna. A friend of the show, uh, Lieutenant Tyler Ginter, is going to join us for some too. That's going to so. be awesome. We're going to try to record at least some interviews or something out there. So we'll see how time goes and how the weather holds, but uh, definitely going to do some TWIP-related stuff, and at the very least, some HDR photography. So hopefully, uh, the the. the police around DC don't take my camera gear as I'm trying to photograph the Washington <laughs> Memorial. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we will see. We'll hit that in the show today. We'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, before we jump into it, just a quick nod to our sponsor, Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. And like we've been saying, they've announced some cool new, uh, what are they, they're calling them social widgets. Social widgets. Um, and the the most significant of which, in, in my opinion, um, for the stuff that I do, is the Flickr photo display. They've got a thumbnail view and a slideshow view, so you can pull in a Flickr feed into your website and display it. Um, and then click on through over to Flickr. They've also got a Twitter widget, so you can pull in your or someone else's public tweets into your website and uh, customize how they show up on your on your site. And then also an iPhone app, which is really cool. So if you are an iPhone user you and you have a Squarespace site, you can log into it, post it, update it, approve, disapprove comments, all that stuff, all from the palm of your hands. It's really, really cool. Um, if you want to check out some examples of some cool Squarespace sites, just head over to squarespace.com forward slash examples, and you'll see some of the cool things that people are putting together. Really interesting stuff. The, the engine behind Squarespace is really drag and drop simple. You can set it up really easily. If you like to do that, you can head over to squarespace.com forward slash trip, twip, sorry, T-W-I-P. Um, get a free trial. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out. Build your website. If you decide you want to keep that website, you'll get 10% off for the duration of your subscription. So, in other words, for life. When you just use our offer code, which is T-W-I-P, that's squarespace.com forward slash twip. All right. Uh, let's jump into the news. First up, um, there's, you know, this is going to be kind of a gear focused show, but I want to bring it back to technique, um, kind of towards the end. But at the top here, Panasonic is introduced this interchangeable 3d lens. Now, Derek, you, you know, I look to you as like, I always say that you're the, uh, the adult supervision on this week in photo. So, <laughs> so, you know, this, I'm not familiar with this camera and I know that you are cause you are plugged into all things photography. What, first of all, not from the, the nuances of what a 3d camera is. I want you to tell us what that is. But then secondly, these different, these different sort of branches that photography to photographic technology is branching into like 3d and in-camera HDR and all that stuff. Um, does that make sense for photographers at, at least beginning advanced amateurs, which is the TWIP audience? Uh, does it make sense for them to be paying, ten- paying attention to that stuff or is it distracting? Well, no, I think it's, it's fun to pay attention to it. And uh, I think it helps you sort of just keep up in general. Uh, Panasonic at, at Photokina they were doing uh, sort of an end-to-end kind of – I mean, 3D was their thing. They said, okay, we're putting our money on the table for 3D uh, for this particular show. And so they, you know, they had input uh, with the cameras. And then they also have the, the whole output thing with, you know, because they make the monitors and the HDTVs, the goggles, the whole deal. And so what they were doing is they were – they're trying to immerse us into the 3D experience. We'd walk into the booth, we'd get to see the cameras, we'd go over. There'd be many, many uh, HD TVs set up uh, with with the 3D uh, goggles on. You know how they do it at trade shows on a little stick. You know, so you can. Yep. And the, and it was really nice for me. It was the stick went up and down, right? So you could you, know, you could have it at your height, uh, yep. and then then you could watch the stuff. And I think that was smart because watching the stuff. I think was motivating to even consider thinking about the camera without actually uh, enjoying it. Then you're kind of thinking, ah, the camera, eh, you know, I don't really need to mess with that. So I, I thought they did a good job in presenting their case. That being said, uh, it's it's a technology right now that I would watch more than I would jump both feet into. Yeah. Uh, uh, because right now I do think it, it's a, it's, unless you have a specific need, it's a bit of a distraction. But it's fun to watch, and you know this thing could really turn into something fun. Yeah, Tristan, Tristan, what do you think about that? I mean, I know you're you're knee deep in the Sony world, and I'm not sure if Sony has come out with any 3D innovations. But just in general, um, technology that's becoming increasingly embedded into cameras. I know Sony is leading the forefront with some of those some of the, the cameras that they have out that allow you to do things that previously required hours in the computer to do. You can now do it. In the camera, do you think that kind of stuff is a distraction for the advanced amateur photographer, or is it uh, just a leap forward? 
I think from a photographic oriented point of view, it, 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 it could add a bit of a distraction. I think the challenge we sit with with 3D at the moment is how do you, how do you display the, the, the image? How do you give justice to the final product? Um, you know, you certainly for, as it stands right now, you've got to spend a lot of money on a, on a 3D display or, or uh, HD TV to be able to, to, give justice in, in displaying your images, which is, you know, I don't exactly see myself sitting down in front of a television to switch it on and watch my photographs. I think if you were to flip it around and for the people that have bought a 3D TV and they're looking for other ways to enhance their content experience, then the ability of them to be able to capture 3D content is is great. Um, Sony have on their uh, and their cyber shots and on their NEX camera and these new alphas they've launched um, a, a 3D sweet panoramic system. So you just hold down the button and you pan and that gives you one long stitched uh, panoramic image and what it does in the 3D section is it, it takes a, a left and right of each image that it uses to create that stitch and stitches that together um, and that's how it creates its 3D panoramic but the application for it is limited and I think it is exciting and I do think the potential is there um, but I just I'm not quite sure that it's we have the ability to do the the justice in you know uh, putting those images on exhibition kind of if you want to look at it that way. Now, Aaron, you you're the representative along with me, I guess, of the uh, <laughs> the advanced amateur set on the show, you know, or folks that that aren't making a living exclusively in photography, uh, right. and you know we have to we have to watch what we're buying in terms of mm-hmm. gear and all that stuff would you would, like when you see these kind of innovations do you like okay i got to you know i'm going to go put this camera on layaway you know <laughs> or do you do you i, I got to say l- looking at the system the geek in me finds it exciting yeah the photography in me doesn't see anything in it right now mm-hmm. i mean personally just for my personal use um i do i agree with tristan the the, the applications are the question you know where they where they're going to be used um, I mean, I see the investment in the camera, the lens, the television, the glasses. I, I would have a very limited audience that could view the work. Um, you know, it just, it's going to have to grow or change and format a little bit before I, I think it has a wider appeal. But again, like I said, the geek in me finds this really exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, like from my own perspective, the geek in me finds all this stuff really exciting um even you know outside of the photography realm with 3d televisions you know just for 3d mm-hmm. movies and all that stuff but you know if i'm 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 actually in the market to buy a new flat screen because mine is you know on its last legs and i don't unless unless it's like an a, a free add-on to the television i get the thing that i'm mm-hmm. looking for most is size i'm not going to say uh, you know, I'll take a smaller TV for the same price and take 3D over a larger one. You know, it's right. it's not about that feature. <laughs> and and secondly, my living room is cluttered enough. I'm not going to put a bunch of glasses in there for people to view. And I think, from my perspective, just speaking personally, I think the the fewer barriers you put up to viewing your work. Mm-hmm. the better you know not saying that all this other stuff is not cool and interesting and all that but at when it comes down to it the this whole innovation that is the internet that allows us to quickly put a photo up in seconds after we take it you know for shooting with a camera phone or something that's the path of least resistance and then everything else beyond that becomes throwing hot coals in front of your your potential viewers to look at your work I think if online, if there's an online mechanism at some point that's ubiquitous, uh, where 3D, I mean, I see discussion of glasses-less, you know, or 3D mechanisms not requiring glasses, other things like that that are in development right now. If something like that becomes ubiquitous at some point and display of 3D images to the average individual is there, you know, it's the norm, then absolutely, this is going to be the way to go. But until that time, to me, it's just too much of a closed environment. Yeah, well, I'd say the the uh, the senior product manager for I think this this particular camera at uh, Panasonic. His name is Panasonic. His name is Darren Peppel. Darren, if you're listening to this, send Derek story uh, one of these cameras and let him test it for us, please. Send yeah. me the TV to look hey, at. Darren, it. also send the HD 3D. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send your 100 inch television to him. Yeah, yeah no, okay. send that to me. Yeah, yes. Tristan, you were going to say something. I think you know the the key thing as, as it stands at the moment. The early adopters of this technology, from just from a display point of view, 
um, have have very much been in the gaming industry as it stands right now. That's you know Sony in South Africa at least have certainly uh, made it quite clear that, that that is where their biggest market is 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 people that have you know PlayStation Three and uh, which is three D compatible and and I think if you've played a little bit with it and you've experienced it, you know being shot at in three D is quite quite a different experience to two dimensional. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from a photographic point of view, I'm a little bit more excited. I, I don't know if you've, you're chatting about Holga on one of the previous issues and they've actually got a Holger 3D camera which is I think that's a little bit more exciting from a display point of view that you can print it and, and where those that's uh, awesome. they've got a stereoscope and that and that for it mm-hmm. which is quite cool. So the, a 3D um, Holger that just kind of that means yeah. random interesting imperfection in three dimensions right? Exactly <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Like life itself Like life itself yeah, yeah. Pretty much all right, guys, let's move on. Uh, the next story in the lineup here is about On One. Just want to quickly touch on those guys. They, you know, On One software, I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. I use them for, they, they have a depth of field um, plug-in for Photoshop. I'm a big fan of shallow depth of field, whether I have to recreate it after the fact, after the fact or shoot it with a 1.2 or 1.4 lens. Actually, 1.450 because there are no 1.2s on the Nikon. Um, but uh, On One lets you simulate depth of field and move it around in Photoshop and do all that stuff with their with a uh, depth of field plugin that they have out there. But they've also released some new photo editing they, they call them photo editing tools, um, but actually what they are are presets <laughs> for Lightroom that uh, that allow you to do all these cool different effects. And they've released 192 of them. And the cool thing about this is their price. This is why I wanted to bring them up on this show because, you know, lots of people are like me um, that don't have a lot of discretionary income to throw at the stuff that comes out. These are only the low, low price of free. So 192 free presets for Lightroom are on the on one site right now. So definitely head over there to check them out. Derek, I know you are, you kind of straddle the fence between um, iPhoto, Lightroom and Aperture. And you, you know, each of those applications equally. Do you, what, how do you feel about the preset world? I mean, do you, do you download free presets to play around with them or do you, you just recreate things yourself? I do play with them, actually, and uh, I think, by the way, I think On One software is great. Mm-hmm. I think they, they do a really good job. I, I like what they do. And uh, I think presets are fun. The, the way that I use them mostly is not for final product, but when I'm just sort of brainstorming on an image, I got an image that I like, you know, and I go, what do I want to do with this? You know, so you kind of play mode. And I, I especially love using presets in Lightroom. I think it's a very fun experience. And so then just to sort of look at the image quickly you know, with, uh, with these different effects is a lot of fun. And sometimes I'll get an idea. So I, I think they're a great creative tool that way. Some people use them for you know, final product just to save time, and that's great too. Yeah. But I like creatively. I, I like to kind of get the juices going with them. Yeah, now Aaron Aaron Mailer. I know. I think you're. I'm pretty sure that you said you were a Lightroom user. And oh, that's, I'm a Lightroom guy, definitely. You're a Lightroom guy. Do you? Uh, you're. We, and I know we talked about this on the show before um, mm-hmm. uh, a while back. I think it was in the context of is is using presets cheating, and right. the, the I think the uh, the sum total of the entire world responded saying it's not <laughs> cheating. It's uh, no. you know <laughs> any more than using autofocus on your camera is but cheating. I right. feel very much like Derek does. Is that to me they're they're great for getting the juice is flowing they're great building blocks Uh, it's a very fast way for me to go down through my images and see what creative ways to treat an image that either it's an ideal image or even a less than ideal image that might have a better life in it with some creative treatment of some sort and and to have a wide array of very nicely created presets is a is a great sampler if nothing else it it may be the final product but it may just be a building block for me to to say hey i kind of like that effect but let me tweak it this way and that way and and take it my own direction after that yeah and that's the cool thing about presets i think both in aperture and lightroom um you can use these 192 presets as starting points, like Derek was saying, you know, get your juices flowing and then tweak them. Because all the presets are doing in Lightroom is moving the sliders around to where somebody thought they look cool. And then mm-hmm. they save that and that becomes a preset. You could do that yourself all night long and come up with, you know, a thousand presets if you wanted well, to. Gives the, uh, the idea of the infinite possibilities, too. I mean, mm-hmm. When you realize that they're not bringing any magic mojo, you know, there's no extra software coming into play here. It's the package you already have. It's just someone's done a lot of work to come up with combinations that you yourself might come up with given enough time. So. Exactly. 
exactly. And like with with the with the introduction of the the new features like noise reduction in Lightroom three and those kind of things, which can also be set in a preset. You can do all kinds of crazy crazy effects. And as they add more features into Lightroom that are controlled like that, uh, just the the universe of presets expands infinitely. So just one quick thing, I was <clears throat> I had forgotten the name of that that plugin from on one that I use for the uh, for adding depth of field to photos. It's called Focal Point. Two focal point. So, if you haven't looked at that, check it out. Just go to the on one side and look for focal point. You'll see it. It's really really cool. And did a quick nod out to um, a friend of mine over. Actually, used to work with her at Adobe, who's now at On One Software. Addie Roth uh, came out to one of the This Week in Photo meetups a couple of weeks ago, where Mikkel Island was given a talk, and she, uh, unbeknownst to me, brought along a. Uh, Plugin suite, the the on one. I think it. What was it called? The I think it was just called the plugin suite. But it was a gigantic, expensive box of software that she gave away, right there. So just a quick nod to her. Thank you for doing that because our meetups are free, and people, you know, when they get stuff like that, they go home in tears. So that's really cool. <laughs> See, Frederick, if you if you came out to New York, you could have lunch with Addy and. Oh, is that it? You got yeah. That's right. She's going to be yeah. there at the. Oh, at they're going to be there, and, and you know, if you, and if anyone goes to Photo Plus, you got to stop by uh, their booth. They they do good demos. Definitely, yeah. Stop by the Photo Plus, or not the Photo Plus, but the uh, the on one booth at Photo Plus, and but don't ask for free software. Just uh, go there and buy something. <laughs> They'll give you some free presets, but that's about it. Now, Tristan, you I know you're last time we talked on the show, I think you mentioned that you're not using Lightroom or Photoshop, which is also very interesting. So you're not Nikon or Canon or Lightroom or Photoshop. You're Sony and you're using what was the app that you use? Are you just using Bridge? I use um, to sort out my images, which largely have uh, a great deal of faces in that in them. I use Picasa for its, uh, Google's Picasa for face recognition. Yeah. Um, and then to process my raw images, I use Capture One, <clears throat> sorry, which is the software that Phase One develop in, uh, for their digital systems. And it, it supports a number of different cameras as well. Awesome. Very cool. I love, I love having sure. the contrasting view on the show. It's perfect. Keeps it, do we, have, we have adult supervision with Derek, and we have the other perspective on software and hardware with Tristan. So it's perfect. Um, so story number three is about Homeland Security here in the United States. Uh, basically, the headline is Homeland Security to allow photography outside of federal buildings. So I want to throw this over to our person that lives closest to a big cluster of important federal buildings. That'd be Aaron Mailer. <laughs> well, I got to say, this is a good precedent for us next week. Yep. <laughs> so one or both of us don't get hauled off next week. Totally. Photos. Yes. Um, but uh, I, I personally have never encountered any kind of situation. Um, I do know that while we're in DC next week, there's certain parts of the city uh, where we're not allowed to use a tripod without a permit from the, I think, the Capitol Police, actually. And I'm going to check into that for Frederick for some, uh, I guess, some HDR work you want to do where you, you yeah. need that tripod lockdown. Um, and, and that actually is not even, everybody assumes at first when you hear that, that, oh, it's a security thing. And in truth, um, it has to do with the fact that they don't want the legs of tripods uh, chipping up, you know, all of the marble and granite, you know, stairways and other areas of the monuments and stuff. And, you know, it's not a super convenient thing in a crowded area either. But uh, it's apparently very little trouble to obtain one. I believe it's free. So, Good. I mean, that's one of the only issues I think we're going to face. But uh, aside from that, speaking of the story, I mean, this is fantastic news that uh, you know, at least there's some kind of precedent being set here. Um, though they do indicate later in the story that you're still subject to this and that and local and municipal laws and general attitudes and so on. So, when I get to the end of the story, I feel a little less uh, enthused than I did at the start. But, uh, yeah, it's like you, you can take photographs outside of federal buildings if you stand on one foot, uh, register right. your tax returns with the government six months in advance, and all this. No, no, I'm joking, well, of course. Yeah, but. well, they indicate, too, that you, know, that, that you may still be questioned about the purpose of the photography you know, so on, so on and so forth. So yeah, know, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. So, so the basis of the story, just for the, for the folks, well, you can see this on this week in photo.com. Um, we'll link to it in the show notes, but the, uh, basically Homeland security, uh, a photographer run, won, um, a legal agreement with, what was his name? Antonio Musemski, I think. Mus- I can't pronounce his last name. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll be able to read it when you see the, the blog post, but, um, 
he was, let's see, I'm looking at the story now. I think he was arrested for taking photos of a protest for some reason um, and then sued. And now he's won the suit, which changed this law. And the government is paying him the whopping sum of something like $1,500 plus his legal fees, which were $3,300. So he's come out reasonably ahead of the game, you know, but, uh, you know, the bigger, the larger story is like Aaron was saying that, uh, the, the law that is pretty, pretty tight around taking built, taking photographs of federal buildings is, uh, at least being looked at. So I think that's, that's a uh, positive move for all of us amateurs out here. Hey, uh, Frederick, I just sort of have a, a tip around all of this. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get approached you know, more these days than I ever have before when I'm taking pictures out in public and I'm, you know, an event and street shooter kind of guy. And, you know, the one thing I just want to say is when, when you get approached, depending on, you know, it's always, sometimes it may be security, sometimes it may be uh, the owner of the building, some, you know, whoever, just be mellow for, for mm-hmm. Pete's sakes, you know, really just, uh, you know, say, oh, yeah, you know, and be friendly, smile. A lot of times they say, you know, I'm just doing this, you know, for me, for fun. It's really, really cool. I'm enjoying it. And just chat with them for a minute. Nine and a half out of ten times, the person's satisfied after they talk to you that you're okay, that you're not, you know, don't have nefarious desires. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and it all just kind of goes away. And, yeah, you do have to spend a couple minutes having a conversation you probably don't want to have. But other than that, if you don't make a big deal out of it, a lot of times it doesn't become a big deal. I think that's really, really good advice. I think uh, a lot of photographers today are just on edge, especially when they're out doing photographs like that and just like ready, ready to throw down and fight if somebody comes, <laughs> comes and approaches them for taking photographs. It's like, this is my right. You know, I should be able to do this. And yeah, it may be within your rights to do that, but you're, you're being approached by somebody that's also doing their job. So there's, I think, it, like Derek was saying, taking the high road is probably the best way to approach it and just say, you know, hey, you know, I am I don't have any, you know, plastic explosives in my camera and I'm not going to do anything bad here. I'm just taking some photos. You know? A lot of times they just want to make sure you're not a jerk. So, you know, don't be a jerk. Yeah, right? there you go. There's another T-shirt right there. Right. <laughs> don't be don't, a jerk. Don't be a jerk by Derek Story. <laughs> Tristan, out in South Africa down there, um, and I know we touched on this a little bit before, but in in the context of this story, you know, and how uh, the United States is up in arms or very, very sensitive with regard to anyone with any kind of mechanical gear outside of federal, federal buildings, rightly so. The, right. In South Africa, um, if you want to take pictures of a, of a government building, are they sensitive to that or is it a little bit more lax? It's it's an interesting point. I, I mean, I've had issues where in shopping centres or, or near malls and that where security tends to to you know try and throw their weight around and that and and sometimes you know you can understand where their point is coming from and sometimes not. I haven't heard of too many experiences around government buildings here, um, except from members of the press. Which yes, sometimes they've had. Um, in fact, this this. Uh, past few days when we've been up now in, in Zimbabwe, I was talking to some of the, the local newspaper photographers from South Africa that were there for this launch. And they they were saying how, you know, there's currently a, a big media um, outcry at the moment because there's a, a bill that government wants to pass that will kind of protect information and and keep them from you know, almost in a way what people are scared of is that they'll use it as a way to cover up corruption and things like that and recently they've been having a lot of incidences where police have tried to to take away you know cameras from people or, or from you know staff photographers that are, are on on a lo- on a scene of an, a crime scene or something like that where they're trying to capture pictures to cover the story and it's been a bit of a difficult situation for them um it, not it's not like it happens maybe every day, but certainly there are cert- there's certain times where the media at the moment in South Africa is going through this bit of a bad light in the eyes of of certain officials, and so it's making it difficult, um, you know, for them. And there's a, a big debate going on about how to regulate it and and things like that, which is. I think, you know, it's just an interesting time and debate at the moment. And it has a couple of, of journalists worried. And they, I think what we're, what the issue is, is that it's, it's not just related to 
um, necessarily to to govern buildings, but in any situation where there are people with with authority by law, they they can kind of throw their weight a bit around, and that's that's been a bit of a concern of late. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. I think it's. It, you go through these teething pro- processes and that, and but we certainly haven't had the same kind of risk factor. I think from from an international security point of view, with terrorism and things like that, that um, we've had the same necessity. I mean, during the soccer World Cup year, um, I have heard very few experiences where people weren't allowed to. Um, you know, photograph. There were one or two people that complained of, of you know, police seeing them trying to photograph the stadiums, and that that uh, they, they were kind of given a bit of a time and told, please don't, and, and what have you. But um, I mean, at the same time, there were lots of fantastic entries and competitions in that during that period of of these stadiums. So I don't think it was a massive issue. Um, but yeah, I think every country is going through that stage where yeah. people are a little bit uncertain. I think the the world in general is a little raw, and and photographers uh, dancing on top of that it just should dance and tread lightly. Which, like Derek was saying, just you know, be the nice yeah. guy, right? We we were stopped from photographing the border post in Zimbabwe. Um, that was you know one or two of the journalists that were on the bus were, were kind of told not to take any pictures, and you know the guys walk around with pretty big guns. There, so you're not going to try and tell them no. Um, yeah, a gun a gun would kind of force you into that nice guy mode, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Because <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, automatically a nice guy when you see when you see the end of a barrel, I guess. <laughs> Um, all right, story number four, Tristan. Now that I have you, um, you know you're you're on a roll here. You're like I was saying at the top of the show. You're the Sony guy, the representative Sony guy on the show. And I know that you know you, you can't really go into any details about any secret or unreleased stuff. But um, have you seen the rumors about the 24 megapixel translucent mirror camera that uh, Sony is rumored to be building by several sources, as reported by Electronista? Um, I, I I saw it now with the show notes. So I've been uh, not able to connect to the internet uh, until I got back from Zimbabwe recently. But um, what, what's interesting for me with that is that yes, there's there's definitely a lot that was mentioned at um, Farikina about the fact that uh, Sony's Alpha 700 needs to be replaced, and what they're terming the advanced model um, will uh, definitely make use of the translucent mirror technology. Um, what I have also found interesting is, you know, the fact that they're talking about a, a 24 megapixel sensor um, that will give, and and it, it makes particular no, a mention of it being a crop sensor that will give the same kind of noise levels as their current range of 14 and 16 megapixel sensors. Um, that was quite interesting to me. I think. You know what Sony have done with their compact cameras is they've a lot of their cameras now carry this backlit uh, CMOS uh, sensor technology, which I use a little compact which has that, and it it's certainly the noise levels are a lot better than what I'm used to previously on on compact cameras. It's the first time I've actually had a desire to own a, a compact camera, um, and. Uh, we haven't seen that uh, creep into bigger sensors yet on on SLRs. So, I mean, that may be one way in which they they're going to head that route. Um, uh, I know that this is a critical camera for them, and a lot of people have criticised them for not releasing something sooner. But um, I th- the the they need to position themselves strongly with this next model. We've seen a lot of Sony DNA start to take over from where, what used to be Konica Minolta when they first brought it over. Um, and, you know, I think they this time around they're going to make it a, a really big big deal about this camera and try and make it as perfect as they possibly can. Um, so yeah, with, with, this, with this technology, the translucent mirror technology, you want to just describe what that actually is for the folks who may not be familiar with it? Basically, a translucent mirror is a mirror that allows light to pass through it onto the sensor, um, but at the same time allowing enough light to reflect off of it um, into your uh, your phase detect uh, sensor of your autofocus system. And so you have a, a number of critical benefits with uh, with this technology. In a way, it's almost like having two-way glass, um, the, the kind of concept of having a two-way glass mirror mm-hmm. is the, the easiest way to perhaps explain it. And what it, what it allows for is you now have your phase detect autofocus system working continuously because the mirror never moves out of the way. On a conventional SLR camera, um, when you're trying to, let's for example, say, 
say you using live view or you're shooting video the reflex mirror moves out of the way to allow light to pass onto the sensor and in so doing it cuts out the phase detect autofocus system now some manufacturers will put a will then try and implement contrast detect into their camera as well but it's not it's not as quick it's not as accurate in in most uh, examples of of dual focus system slrs um, as what it would be if they just were able to utilize phase detection. And so what Sony's done with the translucent mirror is it first of all cuts down the time between frames because there's no mirror that needs to be raised and lowered and it allows the autofocus system to be continuously active. So your Alpha 33 and your Alpha 55 have much higher frame rates than with continuous autofocus than your conventional SLR camera would have. For example, the Alpha 55 gives you 10 frames per second with continuous autofocus. For a camera which is, you know, four times cheaper than its closest SLR counterpart offering the same thing. And I, w- I would the imagine other, these cameras are quieter as well, right? Since there's no they, lifting and dropping of the shutter, correct? Exactly. All, all you're hearing is, the, I mean, the shutter itself still you know, covers the sensor and opens up again to make the exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, there, there's no noise of the mirror flap or anything like that. Yep. Um, your other benefit with it is that, that you now have the autofocus system running continuously in the video mode as well. So when you're shooting your 1080 AVCHD video on these cameras, um, the autofocus is incredibly quick and it's a lot better than anything that I've come across to date that, that uses um, a contrast detect focusing system. Um, so you, you know, previously when you're shooting SLR video, you've had to kind of be used to focusing manually and, and taking more control of it. And it wasn't a great consumer video experience. Um, now you have a camera which would work as well, if not better than most camcorders would. And that I think is, is been another critical development of this technology for them. Yeah. Also things like your live view now have more uses because there's no delay in live view. So uh, for example, I enjoy, you know, doing candid photography or even just photographing my little boy when the minute I pick up a camera to my to my eye the behavior changes I think Cartier Brisson was a big advocate of, of the fact that that is the case and um, so you know with the live view system on these cameras I can flip out the LCD panel use that almost as you would a, a waist level finder on an old medium format camera and quietly snap these photographs away which i wouldn't have been able to do um with conventional live view because there was just too much of a delay yeah now now aaron mailer the the iphone 4 uses a similar tech now doesn't it have backlit a backlit sensor in that thing it has a backlit sensor yeah definitely yeah. i just it crossed my mind and he mentioned that with the sony technology i don't know that they whether they use a sony sensor or not but they do use a backlit sensor to improve improve low light and reduce noise Awesome. Look at that. Technology is just moving forward. You know, it's, it's moving faster than my knowledge of photography is expanding. So <laughs> I'm, I'm on a treadmill that's running faster than I am. <laughs> but this is all good stuff, though. Can I make some, one other observation from Absolutely. that, that yeah. article? What I do question a little bit is on that, that sensor size that they're talking about, Sony have a 24-megapixel full-frame sensor. And there, one of the things that was that I, I discussed in that and mentioned um, when I was still uh, involved with their marketing department directly was, you know, that perhaps to to have a hybrid camera, a camera that would allow you to have a full frame sensor, um, and when you to set the APS crop onto it um, as a separate mode in the menu, for example, which the current cameras do already do, the Alpha 850 or the 900, um, your resolution then drops from 24 megapixels to 11 megapixels. But the noise performance is very much the same as what another you know 10 megapixel camera would have. Yep. Um, the downside with it was that the viewfinder didn't have proper... F- um, framing lines like it, it gave you little guidelines but it didn't block block off your 100 percent viewfinder for the crop size so oh. if you were photographing high paced action you could find yourself chopping off people's heads or things like that and if you think back uh, nikon had i think it was with their d2x um their system allowed when you switched over to a smaller crop it would block off the the the, the area in the viewfinder like shaded off electronically or somehow um and so there's a part of me that wonders if perhaps what we may see with this camera is a full frame 24 megapixel sensor that crops to, you know, say 14 or 16 with better noise performance, 
But because the current translucent mirror technology has an electronic viewfinder, not an optical viewfinder, you would be able to crop it down so that you could actually see a better coverage of what you were going to get and it would be more usable. It's just, just throwing that out there. I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole lot of possible opportunities with this translucent mirror technology that you wouldn't have tried previously um, because of certain limitations with the optical viewfinder system. So, now, Tristan, I have a feeling that a lot of listeners, like myself included, are listening to what you're saying. And, and a lot of us are Nikon or Canon shooters and are thinking, well, the Sony stuff looks pretty, pretty dang interesting. I want to go learn more about it. Is the Sony website the best place to go to, to dive in and kind of understand the deltas between our current camera body and what Sony has to offer? Or what would you recommend? Um, uh, Sony does have quite a bit of information on it. I know that they had an alpha portal, which uh, at the moment hasn't um, got all this information currently loaded on it. But they they have a number of of videos which explain the benefits and that of the technology. Um, and there's there are um, a DP review also did a very good job when the cameras were announced to try and explain the way in which it works. Um, as well. So there are a couple of places where one can check and, and work with it. We are busy talking with Sony here in South Africa to see if we can um, you know, come up with a way to better explain the, the technology to consumers as well um, through you know, using photocomment perhaps as a medium or, or certainly we've done a lot of training that for them and that was uh, you know, at the, the show we were trying to help people understand the principle of this technology. It certainly caught the, the world attention and I think we, we won't won't be long before we see other manufacturers trying their hand at this. It's not it's not like it's totally new technology. I mean Canon did uh, did also have a what they called a pellicle mirror um, as far back as the sixties if I recall correctly. But they only ever produced four cameras with it um, and uh, or, or three cameras with it. And I think that the last version of it did ten frames per second, but when you're shooting in film you know, 10 frames per second meant you went from 0 to 36 in 3.6 seconds. So the application for that technology was very limited at the time. Digital, I think, opens up a whole new world of for it. And, and Sony certainly have jumped in, you know, first with it in, in the digital era. And I think we're going to see a lot of more interest coming from other brands. I don't think it's going to be solely limited to them. The, the interest has been phenomenal. And worldwide, the sales figures for them have been fantastic for this. I mean, the demand is is being way higher than I think they ever expected it would be. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for that. All right, guys, let's move on into the uh, listener Q&A. Every week's our producers scour the This Week in Photo forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forum. And they look for the best questions for us to answer on the show. And this week's, we have, we have a couple of good questions this week. The first one is from someone in Norman, Oklahoma. I'm going to throw this over to Derek's story. Derek, you want this one? Yeah, I do. I do. First, I have to say, this is a very well-organized question. My gosh. It's broken into background, situation, and then the actual question itself. And we have to get a shout-out to to our one of our producers, Ashley, at uh, at the Pixel Core, who is pulling all this stuff together for us. So thank you, Ashley. Yeah, awesome. So anyway, the background is uh, the shooter's uh, – he's got a Canon 450D, and he's shooting with a 50 F1.4. And uh, off-camera flash and all that, really having a good time. But he's ready for a Zoom. Or he or she, I can't tell. Yeah. Ready for, for a Zoom here. And so they're debating between the 2470 F2.8 and the 2405 F4. And thinking, wow, you know, I really love the sexiness of the 2470, but it's 1300 bucks. The 24105 looks like a great Zoom. It's 1000 bucks. And with that extra money, I could get another flash. And since he's playing with uh, off-camera flash, that's kind of an appealing thing. So bottom line is, what should I do? And you know what? These, these are two very, very good lenses. The 2470, you do get that extra f-stop. But it's a beast. <laughs> it's a <heavy laughs> yes, <lens>. yes, it <laughs> is. Uh, I mean, yeah. if, you, if you need a little bicep work, uh, it, it's uh, you know it'll it'll beef it up. Just make sure you switch arms so one arm doesn't become you know humongously bigger than the other. And uh, the twenty four one hundred five is uh, is actually a very light lens. It's the one that I use, and it's true that it's f four. But if if he already has the fifty one four. And doing a lot of flash work and seems like kind of a strobus kind of guy. Personally, I would take the 24105 
It's got image stabilization on it. I think it's a three-stop stabilizer on there. So that F4, you know, is is uh, you know really can perform uh, in lower light than that. Uh, it's lighter. You get a little extra focal length. You save three hundred bucks, and then I would go buy the other flash. So I'd go with the twenty-four one hundred five in this case. Awesome. That's that's great advice. And you know, you can always get the uh, the more expensive one later, or the the two point eight twenty-four to seventy later. Um, you know, as you make money with photography or save up money, right? But definitely start with that uh, the 24 to 105. I would echo that, Derek, and do the same thing. Yeah, you know, plus that, the design on the 2470 is getting a little long in the tooth. You know, they just mm. updated the 70 to 200. Uh, and I think the 24 to 70 is probably somewhere in their roadmap, too. And if I was going to get it, I, I might just kind of, if I don't need it right now, I'd probably hang out for a little bit and see what they do. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Derek. All right. Question number two is from a listener in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And I'm going to throw this one over to Aaron. Aaron, you want this one? Sure. Uh, this is, uh, as you said, Las Cruces, New Mexico. Um, the uh, listener's considering getting an expo disc because uh, he says it looks like a great way to get white balance. Um, he wants to know how useful it is when shooting raw. And uh, he's concerned that the expo disc um, functionality won't carry over in the raw. Image. Um, first off, for those who don't know, uh, an Expo disc, it's almost kind of like a filter. It doesn't attach to your camera, um, but it's a round um, unit that you want to get equal to or greater than your largest um, diameter of your lens. And uh, what it allows you to do is uh, rather than shooting a white card uh, or a gray card, or maybe 18% gray, I guess, uh, that's used for setting what's considered to be proper white balance, uh, you kind of do the opposite. You shoot through this uh, to make a reference image or not a reference image, but a, a reference sample of the light. So you're getting the light coming into the camera rather than the light being reflected by something in the room. Um, and it has some real pluses, no doubt about it. Um, it's a little bit expensive, uh, particularly for what it appears to be physically, um, but it's extremely well made. I bought one uh, a couple of years ago, and it, while it does work extremely well, I have to say, I personally, myself not pulling it out of my bag and using it terribly often. Um, that may just be a failing on my part to not think to do it as much as I should, I will say one of the reasons why is that when shooting, while well, you have such incredible flexibility, I mean, white balance is completely malleable in raw image. Um, the white balance that's decided by the camera is recorded as the as-shot white balance, um, but it is not locked in in any way. Um, so I often find myself uh, just choosing or setting my white balance later on in my images. Um, I also find, too, that you know, effectively if you're going to warm an image or do something to it, you're essentially going to shift the white balance anyway. And sometimes the white balance that's real, and even in my mind, the white balance that looks best for the resulting image in a lot of cases. Um, that said, when using an expert disc, it does work really well with RAW um, because you make that reference image. The way I've used it, as long as I'm shooting in the same environment and I do take a sample with it, I will shoot one or more shots uh, through the expo disc and what you're going to end up with is not a photograph through a filter but you're just going to end up literally with this solid kind of white grayish yellowish depending on the light uh, image uh, you, and when I take that in the Lightroom I then use that as my white balance reference meaning I take the white balance tool in Lightroom I point at that image and I say this is the white balance for the following series of images and of course when you make that white balance adjustment it snaps to being a very nice white at that point and then I can then apply that white balance equally across the other images in the set. And I will get what's probably considered to be the most accurate white balance for the room. That said, I may not even like those results exactly in reality. It just depends on the image. So, Derek, do you have any thoughts on this? Have you used an Expo yeah, Disc? I, yeah, I'd like to piggyback. Uh, uh, I like the Expo Disc, too. I think it's, uh, it's a very good product. And I totally agree with you about RAW, that you know, RAW uh, white balance is so malleable. I do use it for raw, however, and it's it's just a weird little funky ego thing. In mm-hmm. that, uh, when uh, when I'm doing a, a model shoot or something, uh, one of the things I do is I like to show the model, uh, you know, a couple of the good shots during the shoot. It, I think it gets them going a little bit and gives them a little confidence. And when I show them out on the back of the LCD, I, I want the white balance and everything to look good. So uh, I do use it for that reason. And then the other thing I want to mention is if you shoot video uh, with your DSLR, which a lot of us are these days, mm-hmm. yeah, fixing color balance in RAW is easy in Lightroom or Aperture, but fixing video color balance is not nearly as easy, especially if you're not using a high-end editor. And Expo Disc is really good for getting the color balance on that video right when you capture it 
And then you're going to just be so glad later on that all you have to do is cut and stitch on your video and not have to fool around with it. That's a really good point. I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that with you know in terms of video because I'm still waiting on my Nikon D7000. But <laughs> Derek, can I ask you what your techniques are for for editing with your? You know, do you shoot your reference shot with the Expo Disc in a similar manner to what I described, or do you have a different approach? I, I like your approach. Uh, I, I hang on to that, that little data file, that reference file. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use the custom white balance on the camera. It's the way that mm-hmm. I use it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I shoot Canon, so I, you know, uh, record the image with the Expo disc, and then you go to, in the menu and say, you know, okay, camera, use this image uh, for the white balance, and then it's a custom white balance uh, preset. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I'm going to a couple different environments, I actually hang on to those two data images. Uh, leave them on the card, and then that way you can just you know switch back and forth. But uh, I do upload them into uh, into my photo management system too, because as you said, you can batch process correct too if, if you mm-hmm. want to. So th- they're handy to have. I mean, it's a the whole custom white balance thing. I in my workshops I do a, 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 like an hour session on it, and people just drink it up. They just it's one of their their favorite sessions. They just love it. They go, I've always wanted to do that, you know. And uh, I, I think it's really neat because, you know, if, if you're one of those guys that used to like when you put your slides out on the, on the light table, you want them to look really, really nice. I think custom white balance is uh, one of the things that allow your digitals to look that way. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the prices of, of Expo Discs online right now. It looks like Amazon. I guess this, is, of course, would depend on the, di- the diameter that you want, but I think it ranges in the $100 range, right, Aaron? I think I have the 82-millimeter one, which cost me a small fortune. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, but. but, you know, there's a lot of DIY stuff, white coffee filters. Yeah, I was going to say the white coffee filters. Play around filter. with that. Uh, always a sheet of white paper. I mean, the real key is the custom white balance setting, right? Yeah. I mean, ExploDisc is just a handy tool. And, and the point I want to emphasize to listeners, too, I, I agree completely with Derek. The custom white balance in the camera makes absolutely perfect sense, and especially in the situations you're recommending with the models in that, you're seeing on your LCD the corrected image immediately. Whereas my approach tends to be more that I'm accepting that what I see on the LCD, and I'm probably the only one looking at it during a shoot in my situations, I'm seeing something that in a, in a room with sodium or fluorescent lighting looks incredibly yellow or something. But if I have that reference image on there, I'm going to apply the white balance after the fact. Point being that the white balance is not locked in raw image. And whether you do it as a custom setting in the camera, you could change it later. You could not do it in the camera. You could change it later in Lightroom or Photoshop. I mean, either end of the workflow, um, you've got that flexibility. Awesome. Yeah, the real message is to shoot raw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's that's a whole other conversation that uh, that we need to have about people still shooting JPEG. But that's a that's a different show entirely. All right, guys, it's time for the picks of the week. Uh, this is where each guest gives a pick. It can be software, hardware, gear, or a workshop. Derek. Uh, whatever, as long as it's photography-related. Uh, first up, I'm going to throw it to Tristan. Tristan, what's your pick of the week? Um, I'm going to give two. Just something happened today which I wanted to throw out there for people to just be aware of. Um, the The first one that I want to highlight was uh, my little Sony Cybershot HX5 um, compact camera, which basically took almost all of the photographs I uh, did now up in Victoria Falls and video as well. Um, it's a great little camera to, to have on, on hand and did a fantastic job. Um, the other one I wanted to throw out there was a, a website of a, a war photographer who, who um, has qu- had made quite an impact in South Africa um, and who was injured uh, earlier today in a, by, stepped on a landmine in Afghanistan going out on patrol with some, some troops out there. Oh, no. um, his name is uh, Joao Silva. Um, that's J-O-A-O-S-I-L-V-A dot C-O dot Z-A. Um, he's a fantastic photographer. He was part of a, a group out here that um, uh, is, we used to be called the Bang Bang Club and, and photographed a lot of the difficulties in that, that went, we went through as a country leading up to our democracy. And, um, you know, he he's, was uh, injured quite badly and uh, they, they, uh, Busy treating him. I believe he's going to be flying out to uh, Germany this evening for for further treatments and that. Um, but he's got some fantastic images, and he's he really gets involved with the the, the environments in which he's working under. And so, our heart, you know, our thoughts and and that are with his family and with him at this time. Absolutely, absolutely. 
All right. Um, is that the only pick that you want to give out, or you have anything That's else? That's it, yeah. Awesome. That's right. it. Cool. Thanks, Tristan. Um, Aaron Mailer, what's your pick? Uh, my pick's going to be seemingly a little bit of an odd one on the surface for um, for still photography discussion. And I, I know, obviously, we can't avoid talking about video a lot um, with the way SLRs and, and all digital cameras are moving today. So this is a little bit of a crossover pick uh, because I'm actually beginning to shoot one of the reasons I wanted a 5D Mark II is I'm beginning to slowly, as I have time, do more with video because uh, I enjoy video editing. I just haven't had the tools to do good shooting. So I have them. Now I have to find the time. But um, in addition to that, uh, one thing I am needing is better audio in the situations. Uh, and I want to recommend a device called the Zoom H4n. It's a handheld digital recorder. Um, and I'm going to recommend two of them because they have two different price ranges, but I think they'll cover most people's needs in either case. Um, the H4n, what I'm talking about, is $299. Um, it, it has a pair of built-in mics that are adjustable between like 90 and 120 degrees uh, you know, for the, the area that they cover. The quality of them is really quite good considering the price. The recording capabilities in it uses an SD card they put in there you know, are fantastic. Um, the quality is great. It will record like four tracks simultaneously. It has uh, two XLR inputs on it, phantom power, so on and so forth. If you're into audio at all, a lot of that's going to make sense. Um, the reason I bring it up, though, is I think within a video realm, it's definitely fantastic to have that off-camera audio. It's much higher quality. It's a lot more versatile. You, you really do not want to use the audio that's built into the camera for many, many reasons. Uh, but you can sync up with that audio when you do the editing process later. Um, also, I think in the still realm, it actually has a place as well. And I say that because I've seen some fantastic uh, slideshows, particularly of documentary photography, where ambient audio was recorded along with it to, to, to join with the images that you're shooting. And, and this is a simple process here to have one of these with you to record ambient audio in a situation like that, um, say in a street scene or a different area. Uh, I've seen um, some really fantastic presentation of, uh, of panoramic, 360-degree uh, you know, VR-type panoramics that also use ambient audio or, or narration and so on. So it expands those tools. It crosses over into the video realm. Uh, the other model I wanted to recommend with it was its little brother. It's called the Zoom H1. Um, it's $99. Very similar mics built into it. Um, a very similar recording quality and capability. Uh, it does not, however, take the external mics and so on. It's more stripped down. It's also physically smaller. Uh, and it comes at a wonderful price of $99. I mean, you can get them both on Amazon, which is where I ordered mine. And uh, I'm really, really taken with the device. Like I'm going to have it with us in D.C., so uh, if Frederick and I get a chance to, to do any kind of interview-type stuff, I'm going to kind of put it to its test in that situation. That's great. That's great to hear. That means I don't have to bring mine along with me. I'll just bring a mic. <laughs> so. yeah, you're the one flying. I can haul a little more junk with me. So. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Good. You saved me some time there. Yeah, I, have, I echo that, Aaron. The Zoom. I have the Zoom H4n, and it is a magical little device. Uh, it takes a little – you've got to get your brain around its UI, if, especially yeah. if you're used to yeah. iPhone type stuff but once you do that it is it's powerful and it it gives you almost studio quality recording literally in your back pocket so it's really cool all right next up is mr derek story with uh some geek lust derek what, what's your uh, what's your pick of the week oh it's the macbook air it's brand new. <laughs> <laughs> easy call for me yeah i mean uh it's a nimble photographer heaven you know we've been we've been uh you know, with traveling light, you know, playing around with the iPad and so forth, which I like a lot. But, I mean, this is this is a real computer, uh, all solid state. You can get it with four gigabytes of uh, of uh, fast RAM. You can get it with a uh, two hundred and what some odd gigabyte flash hard. You know, no more hard drive, just solid state memory. Yep. Uh, uh, Intel processor over two hundred thirteen megahertz. If you want. Uh, it's uh, it's really fast. It's nice. This yeah. light weighs less than three pounds. Goes in my camera bag. It, so, it will go in your camera bag. You don't have it yet, right? <laughs> somewhere between here and uh, China. So <laughs> you can use it as a scalpel in the right situations too. I believe. <laughs> yeah, I've seen someone cut cake with the previous model. They're so thin. Wow. Yeah, it's thin. But I mean, yeah, I'm gonna load it up with uh, aperture and uh, Lightroom and. And I actually I, I like the new uh, uh, Premiere Elements uh, for the Mac that Adobe came out with. So uh, fun little video editor. So it's just nice, a real computer that that doesn't weigh very much. So I think photographer's dream. 
Nice. What's what's the, what's the cost of that? Is like twelve hundred or it's, it's around that range, right? If you if you fully deck out the thirteen inch, you know, just fill it up with RAM and the biggest hard drive and you know the fastest processor and all that, you'll get up to two thousand. Okay. Nice. Yeah. It opens at nine ninety nine though. It opens at the nine inch opens at nine ninety nine. Yeah, eleven yeah. eleven. So I think. It's, you could easily you could say it's between one and two thousand depending on you know how much stuff you put in there. Aaron, are you planning on picking one of these up? I, you know, I have to say, I, it's a beautiful laptop. I think it's a piece of art. It really is. Um, but I, I find myself, I have a 17-inch MacBook Pro, which I love, that's got the horsepower I need for some of the you know, the heavier stuff that I'm doing with it. And I find myself not even carrying that as often anymore with my iPad, oddly yeah. enough. So, well, you're not on the road like Derek. Derek's bouncing yeah, all over the planet. Yeah, Derek, I think it's a perfect fit for Derek. For me, I want a, a bit more powerful machine, which I honestly, my desktop, my MacBook Pro sits on the desk attached to a 30-inch monitor 99% of the time. I don't even take it out a lot of the time. Hey, Derek, I saw a photo. I was looking at the the MacBook, the new MacBook Air, and it, they had it connected to a cinema display, the little yeah. tiny sliver of a computer driving a cinema display. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah, absolutely. This thing has a real graphics card in it, so it, it can drive. You have to get the adapter. You have to get, you know, it has like the, you know, the little mini port. You got to get the adapter. Uh, and, but you can drive uh, your big display, so you could do what Aaron's doing with it. You know, where you could drive. Yeah, your, absolutely. I think that's fantastic yeah, it's, design. It's it's got an Nvidia what the three thirty or something in it. It's it's yeah, the three M. Yeah, very cool. All right, yeah, my, hot little machine. I'll I'll be writing about it. I know you will. I know you will. I I'm I'm gonna not even go near an Apple store for the next <laughs> several months because every time one of these things comes out, I go in there. I'm just gonna look at it and I leave with a bag. So it's not. Gonna so I was just in the Apple store this morning. The shipments just came in. Ugh. Just in case anyone out there, they just came in. Uh, they only have them in the the stock configuration. So so if you want a custom configuration, you gotta order it online. You gotta wait. You gotta wait. All right. And my pick quickly um, also was announced with. Derek Eric's new MacBook Air, and that's iLife 11 uh, for you Mac users out there. Specifically in there, they uh, did a revamp of iMovie and iPhoto, uh, which have they, I think iPhoto already had full screen mode, right, Derek? Now they uh, they just kind of expanded that a lot to make it yeah, a normal operating it, mode. Yeah, they made it more part of the workflow. I mean, before you could view your pictures in full screen mode, but now it's like... Use every you know use every pixel of your desktop to work in iPhoto. Yeah, it's more like an it's more like an iPad now. Yeah, so you yeah. launch this thing and it just takes over the screen like an iPad does. So, yeah, really interesting the direction that these things are going. If you want to check that stuff out, just head over to Apple.com. You'll see um, it's all over the site there. As is the new MacBook Air. So, interesting yeah, I'm in the stuff. middle of writing the, a review on it for MacWorld, which I have to turn in here in a few hours. Oh, very uh, cool. Which, by the way, you're going to be speaking at MacWorld, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aperture. I'll be doing Aperture. Uh, two, two Aperture classes. But the one you got to come to, Frederick, after you get your, uh, after you, you got to buy a camera before then, though. All right. But uh, <laughs> hey, I have a camera. I just don't have one that shoots camera. video. <laughs> but uh, come to the the class on uh, uh, producing uh, video, editing video with Aperture. It's it's you'd be surprised how much you can do there. Okay. All right. I'll do, I'll be there in the back of the room heckling. That's right. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys, we are at the end of the show, and this is where we traditionally ask you guys where we can find you online. Tristan, where are you at on the ether? Um, on twitter.com forward slash photo comment uh, or on the photocomment.net website. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check out photocomment.net. That's Tristan's home on the web. Uh, lots of interesting stuff over there, so be sure to go over there and say hello. Aaron, where are you online? Uh, you can certainly find me on Twitter as well, twitter.com slash halfpress, H-A-L-F-P-R-E-S-S, and I have my blog at halfpress.com, which I do promise to actually update while I'm with Frederick in Washington. It'll be like the first update in forever. Do so. not let it become a Cobb website, Aaron. It Come has, on. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. And Derek Story, where are you online? Thedigitalstory.com. And your workshops, uh, so you said eight slots each? Yeah, uh, next one's going to be in February. And uh, if you uh, if you want to get on the reserve list, uh, which is the way you have to do it, because they, they never really get to, you know, they're already sold out by the time they're announced to the public. Uh, just send me email to uh, Derek 
D-E-R-R-I-C-K, at thedigitalstory.com. And you get on the list, and then that way you find out about it right away. And we're going to do uh, four, four next year, and they're really fun. Uh, come Friday night, you get a, like a pro, low pro bag. You know, we do the bag grab. You get, you know, Sonoma County wine, all that good stuff. And then two days of workshop stuff. We, got, we bring models in. We go places. Uh, it's fun. It's really good. Awesome. And what, if I may ask, how much is that going to set me back once I get on the list? You know, it's only 500 bucks. Oh, nice. It's only five, for the whole thing. And that includes I bring food in. You know, I feed you. I, I, I pamper you. Here at the at the studio and, and steam feed well the whole idea is just to come and only think about photography and leave the, you know you never get to do that you're always dealing with life and kids and all that so I want to come where you don't have to think about anything but photography for a whole weekend that is really cool and are you the primary speaker or do you have a you have a bunch of people speaking with you oh they have to suffer with me awesome that's good <laughs> all right I gotta I'll be on the list for 2013 I guess since you're so booked up. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, if you like to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, you can head over to thisweekinphoto.com. You'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter account, and a lot more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.